Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Y'all remember that? And they started screaming, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is this son of David. Come on, I just get to be a donkey that he rides in on every once in a while. That's the truth of the matter. This ain't got to do nothing with a man. This is about Jesus. But as I'm given the opportunity to travel, you guys do know I'm 39 years old now, right? I'm still a young man. But if you would have went and ate at the gumbo pot, you see me maneuvering on this stool, I am hurting. I am swollen up as, according to your pastor, he has the best euphemisms. I steal them every year and use them. I say them like they're mine after I leave it. He said, I'm swollen up like a bullfrog. That's what he told me. He said he got all these from his father-in-law, the gentleman we prayed for, Mr. Russell, last night. Anyways, I uh, am still 39 years old. Do you have that photo, that family photo tonight, sweet lady? Oh, you have two. Well, look at you. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a new. I know who you got that from. That's the pastor's son and daughter-in-law that uh, that took that photo. And guys, let me just say this now. If you've never uh, had Jared and Kaylee Winkler, your pastor's son and daughter-in-law, uh, do your family portraits. Not only are they professional, not only are they creative, but they're also very affordable. They do ours every year. have done a great job for three or four years on end. But for those of you looking at the screens behind me, you'll see that a uh, better half of the equation there is my wife, my best friend, the uh, two little girls. I don't know what else to say other than... than uh, I just love them so much. My little boy there holding him in my, my wife's hands. And I got to see all of them early this morning and eat with them and play Barbie dolls with them and everything before I left the house to go pastor. But anyways, at, at 39 years old, still being a young man, this is my family. And, and um, you know, now I do still travel as an evangelist. And I do still travel and, and speak and preach. And honestly, like I said last night, I'm, I feel like I'm just honestly getting started. I really do. Tell them I said hello. Shoot them a text message. Invite them to be here tomorrow night. Tell them we got a couple, about three more seats at Overflow. Just come on in here. They won't have to text you then. They could wink at you then. Did you hear what he said? He was talking to you. No, he wasn't. He was talking to you. I... Uh, I'm honored to be here tonight, but as I as I get a little bit older in my life, uh, it seems as if that more responsibility begins to come. Anybody got a little age on them yet and, and found out that when you were 16, life was not nearly as complicated as it was at 26, and then you make 36, and then you make 46, and then you make 50, and, and it's like... You know, it's like what Jesus said in the Bible, to whom much is given, much is required. And I say all this tonight, just just setting you up because I'm going to change pace a little bit here. Hey, sweetie, I ain't seen you in so long. Was that her first deer that we that I was with y'all that day? We killed her. She killed her very first deer over there. I remember that. You remember me being with you that day? Ooh, you were so happy. You were so happy. I was like, I'm going to get me one this afternoon. I didn't. But you did. It's good to see you guys tonight. But the older I get, the more responsibility I get. I'm not only sitting on this stool tonight because I ate the gumbo pot, but I'm sitting on this stool tonight 
because I do want to change my tone. I do want to change my tune. You have probably heard me say, and your pastor knows this, and here, I want to honor somebody tonight. Sorry, I'm a little bit scatterbrained here, but we're going somewhere. This is, um, this is Pastor Matt Carpenter. Would you stand up, my friend? This is Pastor Matt Carpenter. He serves. Matt, did you used to come here? Have you ever been here with me in years gone by? Matt has traveled with me some around the country when God would open doors. But Matt came to our church uh, with a hunger for God, a call of God on his life, searching, went to uh, our Bible college and is now on our church staff there. He serves as our junior high pastor and is doing a great job. And uh, Matt drove along with me. I never traveled by myself. That's just just something that's smart to do. And uh, uh, the other morning I, I came over here straight from the hunting camp where I had left a man's much like my dad. So I only had about a 30-minute ride alone. Then I hung out the day with your pastor. And when y'all turned me loose last night at 930, I was at 8, what time we get out? 830? I was home at 930. I went straight home, I promise. And uh, Matt drove with me today and spent the day with me. But as I get a little bit older, my roles are changing. Matt knows this to be true. My role at our church is I am the spiritual dad. I'm the spiritual father. Our lead pastor, who I serve in a co-pastoring role with, he is in his uh, about his 30th year of pastoring. He, he has... Uh, his schedule set up today where he primarily preaches three Sundays a month. He's not, he's in the office some, but he's not in the office a lot. He's been in our church 14, 15 years and, and he's earned the right to be out a little bit. And so day to day, they have turned over to me for the most part. That's everything from staff members to, to a $7 million a year budget to, to, to who's at work, who turned in a doctor's excuse, where were the offerings or the air conditioners working? Did the maintenance man get the stripes in the park? That's a lot to keep up with. And as I get a little older, it seems like God's given me much, but God is also requiring much. And sometimes it's, it's not very popular, but just frequently, you know, when you were a young man, your dad may have said it, your granddad may have said, every once in a while, we got to have a come to Jesus meeting. Now, I don't write them on my calendar. And, and really, here's what I've learned about life the older I get, that life will provide me the opportunities to teach and to guide and to direct our staff as they grow up under my leadership. So every few weeks, every few months, we, we have some come-to-Jesus meetings. I prefer to have those come-to-Jesus meetings much like this. Calm, not reacting, but responding that issues have come up. Problems have come up. How, how many of you know, I just hate to break this to you, but the church is filled with problems. Okay, let me try it on this side of the room. Okay, l l let me just tell you something. The church is filled. If you are, listen to me, your pastor, I pastor a church. I have been, I've given God called. I am not as good at anything else in my life. This is what I was born to do. God called me for this. I've been doing this for almost two decades now. And I still know barely anything. But what I can tell you about church today is that there is no perfect church. And if you are looking for a perfect church, you will never find it. And if you found that unicorn that doesn't exist, they would not let you go there. 
Do you want to know why? Can I finish it? Because you ain't perfect. You would mess up their perfection. You, you fought, am, I, am I doing right? Am I telling you the truth? The title of tonight's message is Return to Me with All of Your Heart. Return to me with all of your heart. And I just want to tell you that tonight, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. And yes, I like to get excited. Yes, I like to, to spit and run and shout and worship in the altars. And, and I have no idea exactly where we're going other than this is what God told me to do on Monday night. Tonight, I don't have any axes to grind. I'm not mad at anybody. I just want you to know that the church is filled with people. The people that are in this church are imperfect. Matter of fact, whether you believe this or not, the Bible, somebody hold your Bible up. Somebody wave your Bible. That Bible that you love and and that you read and study, you probably, probably, most probably spend a large portion of time in the New Testament. If you don't spend the largest portion of your time in the New Testament in the Gospels, I guarantee you, you spend a large portion of time in Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians or Corinthians or Thessalonians. Can I tell you what all of those letters are? They're epistles. Can I tell you what those epistles were intended to do? From an apostle, a spiritual father, those epistles, those letters were sent to the churches to work out existing problems in each and every one of those churches. I hate to break it to you, but I can show you that the first church during the apostolic era, does anyone know what the apostolic era is? The apostolic era is the first hundred years of the church. John was born in all. He lived the longest. John the revelator. John the beloved disciple. John the disciple made apostle. He was born in all. He lived. He was banished to a slave camp on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. He died in A.D. 90 and that ended the apostolic era, the apostolic order. Now, I didn't say that was the end of the role of an apostle. No, 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 no. And actually, if you were to study church history, here's what you would find out. That the apostles left predecessors who were also apostles in place in each of the churches. I can show you in the first hundred years of the church, the church of Ephesus. How many of you think mega churches are a new idea, a new invention? How many of you say, I would never go to a mega church because I like small church. I like where people know my name. Well, I got news for you. I go to a big church and I know people's names. I'm not here to say big is right or wrong or small is right. That's not what I'm here to say. I'm saying in the box of crayons, there's all different color crayons. There's all different shapes and sizes and fashions. And that's what's beautiful. When we were... When we were teaching our children, we would say, this is the church and this is the steeple. Open it up and you can see all the people. And then we would sing these songs about God loves them all red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious. We would tell children that the diversity God loves, but then when we grow up and we start experiencing diversity, we shun it because we don't like it. We want everybody to be the same color crayon in our crayon box, and we want our crayon box to be just like we want it. But that's not the church. That's not the church. That's your church. That's not his church. 
You better learn the difference in your church and his church. Here's where I'm trying to go tonight. When we begin to talk about these epistles, these letters that were written in the first hundred years, we see the mega church, the church of Ephesus. Do you know who planted the church of Ephesus? Does anybody know the letter you know in your Bible is the Ephesians, the apostle Paul. Do you know who the predecessor, the apostle who followed the apostle Paul? You don't know him as an apostle because Paul was the apostle. But when Paul was crucified, when Paul was killed before Nero, the second time he stood before the Roman emperor and he was not delivered from the lion's mouth. Do you know who pastored the church of Ephesus? Timothy. And do you know Ephesus is recorded to have a church of 50,000 congregants? And did you also know that the first of the seven letters of Jesus Christ of Revelation 2 and 3, the first letters to the church of Ephesus, and Jesus calls it the loveless church, the church that is so backslidden that they've forgotten their first love. But John is still alive. I'm showing you that in the first hundred years of the church's existence, churches that were planted by apostles were already in trouble. You didn't know that because you think the Bible had it all right. No, the Bible was filled with imperfect people. But God gives perfect revelation, perfect wisdom, perfect insight, perfect direction and correction. Here's what we love about the word. We love when the word edifies us. We love when the word builds us up. We love when the word tells us we're the light of the world. And that is true. You have to know your identity in Christ. You don't need to know who your daddy said you was, who your auntie said you was, who your boys. You need to know. You need to know who. But let me tell you the other side of the word. The word was meant to reprove, to correct, to give instructions in righteousness. If you ever find a ministry that only speaks One side of the double-edged sword, I want you to know that you're setting under a ministry that does not wield a two-edged sword. Can I tell you what the power of a two-edged sword is? Anybody remember where the two-edged sword comes from? It comes from the word of Jesus' mouth. It's the two-edged sword that comes from his mouth. And the power and the beauty of a two-edged sword is the word that comes from Jesus' mouth has the power to both kill and heal. And your pastor, according to Revelation chapter 2, is being held in the right hand of Jesus. He has a divine appointment. He has divine protection. Jesus appointed your pastor as the apostolic leader of a church. And Jesus says that he moves that angel, that set man, that pastor, through the double-edged sword in his mouth. And when your pastor speaks, he ought to be able to speak a word that heals what needs to be healed in your life. And your pastor ought to also be able to speak a word that kills Whatever needs to be killed in your life. How many of you know that these first two times that we've been together for overflow, they've been great. They've been wonderful. I've enjoyed them. But here's what I want you to know. I'm not a one-dimensional teacher or preacher. God's not a one-dimensional God. Just because the first two experiences, encounters have been great doesn't mean that everything's right in our heart. And far be it from me to roll up in here, preach revival, swing from the chandeliers, spit and yell and jump and anoint people with oil and cast out devils and set you on your way, which I can do that with the best of them. And I love that. But also not be honest with you in what I've learned about the Bible and what I've learned about life to sit down as a spiritual father 
and to live up to the responsibility, the expectations that God's placed on me and say, hey, you know what? Tonight we got to have an old-fashioned come-to-Jesus meeting. Tonight, we've got to hear what God is saying to us in the middle of overflowing. Can I tell you? I'll just go ahead and break it down for you. What God sent me to say tonight is you've got to return to me with some of your heart. With all of your heart. Can can I tell you something? Jesus Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He is a jealous God. Now see, here's what you want me to do. You want me to decide for you what's in in your life and can remain. That's what I want when I sit in the stool. I want the preacher, the evangelist, the apostle, the teacher, the prophet. Help me to decide what's in in my life and can remain and what's out in my life and needs to go. I'm not going to do that for you. You know whose ministry that is? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. He will convict you of sin. He will convict you of righteousness. So here's the prayer that we're going to pray tonight. That the Holy Spirit will show you what needs to go and what can remain. Will you pray that with me tonight? Dear Lord, most loving and gracious Heavenly Father, tonight... I thank you for this awesome opportunity to be with this awesome church. And as I get ready to share this word, the word that I know you placed on my heart, the word that you birthed in me, that God's not only a word for this people, it's a word for me. It's a word that must cut me before it cuts them. God, would you send the precious oil of the anointing now? Would you send your spirit to do what only you can do? Help us, God, return. Have a heart return tonight with all of our heart. Not just some of our heart. Not just a piece of our heart. Not just half of our heart. Not just three quarters of our heart. Not even just 90% of our heart. Jesus, set on the throne in our lives. Be Lord of all. May there be nothing in any of our lives. Whether it be wealth. Rather it be possession, rather it be commerce, trade, industry, notoriety. God, may there be nothing else in our lives that ever even challenges or rivals the throne that Jesus is intended to sit on. Now, if you would agree with me for that tonight in your life, I want you to say amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to be reading tonight, which is not usually my custom, out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. ESV. Here's what it says. I want you to notice this. Verse 12. Yet even now, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and He is merciful. He's slow to anger and He's abounding in a steadfast love. Look at this. And He even relents over the disaster that's coming against your life, that's coming into your life. He even relents over the disaster that's coming in and over your life. Tonight I want to talk to us all. On the subject of a heart return. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to just look at me. Give me your undivided attention. And follow along with me for just a little bit. I'm going to share some very riveting and thought provoking statements here. That I want you to let marinate. I want you to to say la. 
Think on these things for a few. Let this set in as I talk to you and as I read to you some of the thoughts that I wrote. Many of you back in January on the first day of the year, you, you, you got up and you, and you made some New Year's resolutions. Everybody remember that? We, we said this year, I, I, I'm not only making some New Year's resolutions, I'm making some commitments to the Lord. I'm going to start this year better than ever. I'm going to eat me some black-eyed peas. I'm going to watch some football games. And, and we said things like this. We're going to drop a few pounds. I'm going to diet, and, 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 and I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going I'm to find new ways to spend time with my family I'm going to be a better steward of my finances I'm going to save money I don't know what your new year's resolutions were your commitments to God but here's what I know that many of us at the turn of a year we try to earmark that first day of the year by saying we're going to do things differently and however one thing that I have also discovered over the years of my life is not many of us wake up on January the 1st as Christians as Christ-like people followers of Christ God-fearing people we don't predominantly wake up with an aspiration and make a declaration and a resolution that this year we're going to be closer to the Lord. You know, it's very uh, uh, far-fetched and few and far between that I find people that say, you know what, this is my year to read the Bible through in a year. This is my year to fast more. This is my year, Pastor, to tithe more. This is the year that I'm going to give to the building. This is the year that I'm going to serve more. I'm going to be closer to God. I'm going to read a devotional this year. I'm going to grow in my relationship. But the truth of the matter is, here's what I believe, that every Christian, every Christian, should wake up January 1st with a New Year's resolution that says, you know what, this year is my year to be closer to the Lord. But can I tell you something else? I believe that every day you wake up, the Bible says, this is the day that the Lord has made. This day that we have today, Your granddaddy did not create. My granddaddy did not create. God gave us this day. He gave us the breath in our lungs. And the truth of the matter is, every day that we get up, he's given us the gift of life. And what we ought to give back to him is our heart. What we ought to give back to him is thanks and praise and humble adoration. What we ought to give back to him is, I don't need to know every one of Tiger Woods' statistics of his golf career over his career as a golfer. I don't need to know every fact there is to know about NASCAR. I don't need to know everything there is to know about hunting or how to kill a white tiger. I don't need to know everything there is to know about the game or the streets or, 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 or the drug trade. But what I need to do is I need to learn to be closer to the Lord. Every Christian ought to wake up every day of their life saying, God gave me this day. God, I'm giving you this day back today. And I want to be closer to you. Now, now, now listen, I promise tonight I'm... I'm not preaching for an applause. I'm I'm not trying to get a commendation. I'm trying to share some things from a spiritual father's heart and perspective tonight. For many in this room, and I want to be very honest, including myself, the last six or seven months of this new year... And, and, and boy, they've been busy for me. There's some, I mean, I can't believe we're in like August, the middle of August already. But this past year and all of the circumstances of this year and all of the, 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 the fast paced happenings of this past year have had a way at times, even in the midst of being the busiest, even when everybody else would say, Pastor John is preaching the paint off the walls. He is hitting home runs every, he's here early. He leaves late. He's all things to all men. But, but the truth of 
of the matter is behind the scenes, all of these circumstances and situations have had a way of pulling me off course in my relationship with the Lord to some degree. Now, I just want to be honest with you. I, and you know, I'm a very transparent guy. And I'm probably a little too plain spoken at times. I'm, I, I've not had an affair on my wife. You didn't come to a confession session tonight. I, I haven't been out high on drugs. I haven't been embezzling money. But, but just because I haven't done any of the things that we would say, oh, those are the big sins. Here's what I do want to say. The busier you get for God, you, you, you tend to at times to slack off a little bit for God. You, you, you start letting your heart drift. It, it kind of gets like, uh, just any other job or responsibility you have in life. You get up, you put on your boots, you comb your hair, you brush your teeth, you go, you go through the motions and, and you're there in presence, but you're not there in heart with the things of God I'm just being honest with you maybe your year's not been like my year but I'm being honest that's what this past year and the added responsibility and increase has done to me at times and in seasons let me ask you a couple of pointed questions tonight that'll maybe pull you into my boat do you want to be closer to the Lord after this overflow conference is over Really? Do you really want to be closer to the Lord? I left here last night. I would never mention her name by name. I I just love and respect this family too much. But I left here last night and a young lady called me. She's 16 years old. And and she said, Pastor John, I'm not doing any of the big stuff. I'm not messing up. I'm not doing the stuff I was used to that I was doing. I'm not running around. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. I'm not uh, sleeping around. I'm not doing any of this stuff. But but Pastor John, I just still feel so empty. I just just don't feel like I have my fire back with the Lord. Do Do I Need, what do I need to do? And, and I said, baby, I, I commend you for not doing the big stuff, for not partying. And she says, just because I'm working so hard and I'm, and I'm so worn out when the day's over, I'm just ready to go to bed. But I'm just going through the routine. And because I've had that special relationship with the Lord, because I've been close to the Lord, I know what it is now to not have that in my life every day. And pastor, that's bothering me. What do I need to do? And do you know the simple answer to that tonight, the God's honest truth? If you want to be closer to the Lord then tonight you've got to return to him with your heart. Let me ask you this. How many of you are early birds? How many of you are night owls? How many of you, and I don't know many, but how many of you are midday people? Like you're, at, you're thriving in midday. I eat lunch and I'm like, um, 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 um. I need an insulin shot or something. Father, I rebuke that. I don't speak that over my life. Here's what I can say. If you want to be closer to the Lord, you've got to take your heart back to the Lord. And here's what I've discovered that for me in the mornings, it's quiet in my house. For me, I wake up and it's really and truly. Do you remember that, uh, that air, what is that? A Southwest Airlines commercial and it would go ding. You are now free to move about the country. Y'all remember that? I don't remember what airline it was, but when I wake up in the morning, I go ding. And I hear, you are now free to move about the country. I am ready to go. I wake up like Pinky in the brain. Today, Pinky, we are going to take over the world. I wake up, I'm ready. So here's what I, that's me. Now my wife's like. I'm like, is that a German shepherd? Now at nine o'clock, my buddies call me top fuel dragster. At 9 o'clock, it's over with, partner. 
I'm going to bed. My wife will be in there cleaning, dusting, listening to worship, muting, reason, reading Proverbs 31, write me a seven-page letter. I'm like, I mean. But here's what I've learned about my life. When I wake up in the morning, for me, I wake up fully alert, fully awake, engaged. I've not heard CNN yet. I've not heard Fox News. I've not heard ESPN. I've not heard my children. I've, I, I have my phone set up to where it can't ring until a certain time in the morning. It stops ringing at a certain time in the afternoon. That'll help somebody tonight. But when I wake up before there's any clutter, before there's any distraction, I set myself aside. I set time aside, whether it, it's five minutes, whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's two hours. But I set time aside from a heart to return to the Lord and for the the Lord to be able to speak to me and I told that young lady I said are you doing are you spending any time with God and no pastor as soon as I get up I have to go right to work and and how many of you know you can get right up drink your coffee go to work you can be the best employee you can be there early you can get promotions but you can still be doing all of that and not know the Lord not be close to the Lord so for me I have to spend that time with God early in the morning. That's how I keep my heart tender to the Lord. That's how I stay in close proximity to the Lord. That's how I hear His voice and what He's speaking to my life. For others, it's they need to do that in the evenings where they can hear the Lord and be close to the Lord. Do any of you in this room tonight feel that in some ways you've drifted over the past four, five, six months from the Lord. And if you are that person tonight that says, you know what, I have drifted. Would you even be a little more honest and say, man, and I have been trying to get back to that place. I've been trying to get back to that place where I was on fire for him so hard. Can I tell you something? As long as you do it that way, you'll never get there. You want to know why? Because you're idolizing a place and a season in your life. And you'll never get back to that place. Your future is not in your past. Watch this. The only reason that place in your life and that time in your life was so special is because how close you were to a person. It was never about the place. It was about how close you were to a person. That person's name is Jesus. He is your elder brother. He is the high priest of heaven. He is your intercessor sitting on the right hand of God. He's not some mystical folklore storyline that people talk about. He is a living, breathing human being. He is the son of God. He is your advocate. He's the one that you talk to. He's the one that pleads your case before God. He's the one that sends the angels and the only reason that place was so special that time was so special is because you were so close to a person and the only way that you ever get back is get close to that person again and the only way you can get close to that person is he demands all of your heart not some of your heart Today I look out and I see so many young people dating. I see so many young people getting into relationships. And I hear young people and they mean well. And they say, well, here's what I'm going to do, Jonah. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to bring my 50% to the engagement. And Hannah, I'm going to bring my 50%. I'm going to bring my half and she's going to bring her half. And then when I find her and I find him, then we'll be whole. We'll be 100 then. We 100. That's my ride or die. That's my road dog. 
But the truth of the matter is, check this out. You can't bring your 50% to him. You can't bring your 50. You've got to bring your 100 to her. And she's got to bring her 100 to you. And the truth of the matter is, if we bring our 100 to each other, why would we ever fall for the enemy's trap that the Lord would accept anything less than 100? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I've got news for you. Ready for this? Jesus will not share his throne with Playboy. Jesus will not share his throne with a needle. Jesus will not share his throne with Bud Light. Jesus will not share his throne with methamphetamines. Jesus will not share his throne with sexual immorality. Jesus will not share his throne with adultery. Jesus will not share his throne with racism. Jesus will not share his throne with bigotry. When you come to Jesus, you give all of your old life away and you accept all of him and you say, Jesus, come sit on the throne of my life and be the Lord of my life. That means speak to me. Show me what can stay and show me what has to go now let me help you tonight if you ever encounter things in the word of God that state truth to be different than your life don't ask the word to change if you ever read in the word where the truth of God's word is different than what you have or you believe in your life you don't ask God's word to change you change You don't ask God to bend his standard. You don't ask God to let down his guard. You say, God, change me. Now, I'm about to help you. I'm really about to to probably mess some people's minds up. But I'm going to help some people too. I agree with you about Facebook. I really do. I I want you to know that before I say this tonight, Pastor Matt can tell you this. I, I have been on a Facebook, I have been on a social media fast. For probably a month. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I just came out of the busiest season of my life. And, and I was so busy. And I'm, I'm really ashamed to say this. I was so busy trying to meet every need of every person. That I probably was not giving the adequate time that I needed to. To my own wife and children. And then when I was home. I was there in presence. But I wasn't there in heart. And just because my mind was like mashed potatoes, I was just looking at your Instagram feed. Now, I may not even have been thinking about you. I was just vegging out. My wife would say, what do you want for supper? And I said, hmm, with a twitch. And she would be like, I wish you would get off the phone and answer. And I'm like, what are you screaming at me? I've been screamed at all day long at work. I've been trying to just leave me alone. And she's like, baby, you're home. You have kids. You've got to be a husband and a dad. If this is what ministry and life is doing to you, I don't want this. So here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to see. I've been away from it for a month. I agree with you. But you said you did actually find something positive. You found a unicorn on Facebook today. Somebody wrote something good. And they said, and I'm not disagreeing with, is that gentleman here? Because I want to know, okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't know who he was talking about. Don't flatten my truck tire because I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. It's, it's Mike, right? Mike, okay. Mike, you said, and I quote, I remember when I used to pray for the life that I have. 
the blessings that he, you remember. And what you're saying is, I remember what it was like. I remember. Anybody, anybody know of Hillsong? I want to give this young girl the credit. Anybody know that song, Jesus, What a Beautiful Name? Half the songs we sang tonight, that's Brooke Litterwood. That's the new worship. That's the new Darlene Check. Y'all remember Darlene Check for your song? She's the worship leader. She's the worship pastor, Brooke Ledgerwood. And they were interviewing her. Rich Wilkerson Jr. was interviewing her at the VU conference. And he asked her how she stays fresh and keeps her passion for the Lord. And she gives, Diane, she gives Darlene Check credit. And she says, I remember when Darlene Check was our worship pastor. And I was a little girl hanging around the worship team and the, and the choir and the platform at Hillsong. That Darlene Check used to tell people that she remembers the black metallic taste of life before Jesus. I remembered what life tasted like before I knew Jesus. And because I keep a little bit of that metallic taste in my mouth of how empty life was, it always keeps my fire and my passion for him and how good this life is. Now, am I close? Did you mean something like that? Did you mean something like that? You remember when you used to pray? You remember what it was like? You remember when you were hungry for this life, for these blessings, and now you're so thankful to him what he's done? That grateful spirit, that spirit of uh, an attitude of gratitude. All right? Now watch this. I'll mess with your theology. God does not exist inside of time. God created time. God is outside of time. He's bigger than time. Okay, so I see you confused. He says, I am the God who was, who is, and who is to come. Do you know what he's telling you? I exist outside of time, all at the same time. I am bigger than time. I exist in your past, I exist in your present, and I exist in your future, all at the same time. All right, watch this. If, God, if, you, if you got salvation from God and God exists in all three tenses, past, present, and future, then your salvation must exist in all three tenses. It does. Can I show it to you? How, how long have you been born again, been saved? Fifteen years. Fifteen years ago, oh, bless God, you were saved. But guess what? Oh, bless God, right now, today, you are still being saved. And oh, glory, hallelujah, one great day, I shall be saved. Do you want to know why you were saved, you are being saved, and one day you will be saved? Because God exists in all three tenses, and God is the giver of your salvation. You were saved, you're being saved, and one day you will be saved. All right, so watch this. Just messing with your theology a little bit. Help you with the understanding for God. If God exists outside of time, if God is bigger than time, And there was a time that you were praying for the life you have today. All right. I'm going to hit it home. How come you didn't get it sooner? Okay. Somebody just said it because what? You, uh, You weren't ready for it yet. Okay, you weren't ready for it yet. Great answer. So watch this. For those of you in this room that are praying for things right now that are not coming to pass, you think God's got your blessing on layaway. You think God's got your blessing on hold. Put them in the pause line of heaven. 
Okay. Okay. No, no, no. I'm just saying. Sometimes we go to pray and think, God, give me this job. God, give me this breakthrough. God, give me this. But here's what I'm trying to get you to see, Mike. When you started praying for the life that you have today, God, who is a good father, he's the giver of every good gift, wanted you to have the life that you have today long before you ever wanted that life. Prayer wasn't about you twisting God's arm and making God give you what you want. Prayer was about you getting to the place where you finally wanted God's desire for your life. Prayer isn't you getting God to move. Prayer is God moving you. And when the prayers come through, that means you finally have got in position for what God has for your life. You ever heard Garth Brooks' old song? Thank God for unanswered prayer. God ain't no genie in a bottle. It ain't no, hey, I rub on you, I threw $2. Let me just help you with this. If you are tipping God instead of tithing God, thinking God is a spiritual prostitute that you can throw a 20 in the offering plate and go out of here and say, God, do this for me. God, save my children. God, heal my family. God, give me this promotion. As if you are prostituting God out of his blessing, like you're going to get God to do a trick for you. The only person being tricked right now is you. You're the only one being fooled because God don't work that way, player. When God starts answering prayers in your life and you write them and look at this prayer, God finally answered for me. You feel so special. Like, oh, God has, God hears me. I have the ear of God. People call you and say, could you pray for me? Because you got a direct line. I always get the busy signal. No, 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 no. When things get through, it means you are getting in position. When, when, when you start praying, and God wanted you saved before you were saved. Well, prove that to me. Well, he slain the lamb before the foundations of the earth. Before there ever was a Hadam, Adam. That's what it means in Hebrew. Long before there ever was a Eve. Long before there ever was a tree that I might add God put in the garden because he wanted to set man up for the test. Long before there ever was a snake that God put in the garden so man could be tempted and man could choose and man's free will could eventually birth original sin so all humanity through radical headship could be plunged into sin God killed the lamb before sin ever hit humanity God wanted you saved before you was ever saved but God had to wait for you to get in the birthing position to want salvation before he could send salvation in your life God had to wait for you to get in a position to want to be a good daddy to help you become a good daddy God had to wait for you to want a good wife so you could have a good wife God had to wait for you to have a desire to be in the house of God for God could show you refuge church You wasn't moving God. God was moving you. Prayer ain't you moving God. Prayer is God moving you. You're not moving God. You're not shaping God. God's moving and shaping you. So watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. We're talking about coming back to God with all of our heart. We're talking about this year making some of us drift. Some of us getting a little off track. All of a sudden the heavens start feeling like brass. 
All of a sudden, we start feeling like prayers aren't getting through. All of a sudden, we start, our fire starts going out. We feel like we're just going through the motions. And here's the truth of the matter. God's not moving. He's not. Because you're out of position. You're out of position. And the only way to get back in position... Hello, anybody ever see Back to the Future? McFly, is anyone home? Jesus said it like this. How much more plain can it be? I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will open the door to me, I will come in and sup with him. And I will dine with him and he with me. You're out there running around trying to buy and sell stuff. Out there running around trying to make a dollar. You out there trying to make a drug deal. Out there trying to get a boyfriend. Out there trying to get a promotion. Out there chasing a little baseball around on a baseball diamond. Out there doing all this whole kind of stuff and kicking against the pricks. Life getting tougher. Life getting harder and Jesus is back there on the door saying I sure wish you'd bring that heart back to me I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking I'm out here calling to you I'm trying to get you to come back home to me because if you'll bring that heart back to me you can actually start to hear me you can know my will for your life I can shape you I can get you back into position where the blessings start to flow Anybody ever heard the old adage, you gotta give under, gotta get under the spout where the glory comes out? Did you lose your glory spout? Did you lose your glory spout? I put it to you this way. If you knew where a money tree was, they said if money grew on trees, if you knew where a money tree was, I guarantee you wouldn't forget where that sucker was at. But let God pour out his goodness in our life. Let God pour out his blessings. And we'll forget the spout where the glory's coming out. Do you want to know why? Here's what you say. Here's what you say. You say, well, if I would have been one of them children of Israel, man, when that manna started coming from heaven and a quail started flying in under a glass sheet, I wouldn't have never tested God again. If I would have been one of them children of Israel and I would have seen the Red Sea part, if I would have ever seen them kind of miracles, if I would have ever lived in Samuel's day or David's day or Samson, if I would have ever seen those mighty acts of God. And the truth of the matter is that you do see miracles every day around you, every day in your family. And our hearts begin to grow hard and dull to the things of God just like the children of Israel you would have done the same thing they did do you want to know why because listen to me common blessings causes complacency I, I don't remember I, I don't remember who wrote it maybe Ario Speedwagon common blessings causes complacency Common blessings causes complacency. You get under that spout where the glory starts coming out. You start seeing God move. You start seeing His power. And it begins to be so common to you start treating it as if it was mundane. As if the, it was, it was, it could be treated with contempt like it's always going to be there. We start taking God for granted. Watch this. Who was that said? Don't know what you got till it's gone. Who was that? Ario Speedwagon Journey, one of them. All white, white snake poison, great white. Who was it? One of them 80s hair bands. Aerosmith. I'm sure Brett Michaels singing. I'm sure a Bon Jovi, one of them. Steve Perry. Whoever. But our Christianity is a lot like that. 
Sometimes we get so bewildered, so lost, we don't know what we got till it's gone. Now, now, now here's where our theology is going to start getting a little tough. All right? I'm gonna, I'm, I had to get you in with me tonight. We having to come to Jesus meet. We all in the same boat. This ain't some 39-year-old young preacher standing up here telling you that I got it. I'm preaching from the overflow. I'm teaching from the overflow of my life. We are all in the same boat. Now, don't get mad at me. If you don't believe this, because I promise me and you can have this discussion. And if you'll be open minded about the Bible, I can prove this to you. But how many of you, when your heart started drifting, for whatever reason, life started getting tough? Heart started drifting, life started getting tough. Now, here are the two common thoughts on that. That one is judgment. That, you know, the elderly lady with the bobby pins and the hair bun. All she knows how to do is say, well, you left thing, you've been out all night laid up with them boys like a little Jezebel. That's why the judgment of God's coming on your life. That's why you can't get your children back. That's why you can't pay your car note. That's God's judgment coming on you. I don't know if I want to go to her church neither, but. I mean, she's, there's a little truth in there. There is. I don't, I don't know if I would say it like that. But, and then on the other side, there's a school of thought that says, well, you know what? They're the consequences of our bad choices. And can I be honest with you what I've discovered? It's both. If any of you have let your heart drift, you've forgotten the glory spout. You forgot you started treating God's prayer. You didn't mean to. It accidentally happened. God won't share his throne of your heart with anything else, something else, softball. I mean, you know, we always preach the bad stuff, hunting, fishing, other camping, money, uh, 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 you know, stock market investments. Something got in there and started encroaching on God. And the Bible says God is a jealous God, that he will not share his glory with another. And all of a sudden, some started trying to take God's praise, take God's glory. You started treating it with a little bit of contempt, a little bit of, of, of complacency, apathy, lethargy. And then all of a sudden God's presence started receding. It started withdrawing. The anointing started dissipating. Then all of a sudden life started getting tougher. You didn't have the same joy, didn't have the same smile, didn't get the same blessing, same opportunity, same promotion, didn't have the same favor on your life because favor ain't fair. When you're with God and hooked up with God, God's favor comes on you and favor ain't fair. You can be last and God make you first that's just how it works with God but all of a sudden you start drifting from God and things start getting tougher and here's what I've discovered sometimes it is judgment from God and I don't care if you believe that or not in the New Testament but I can show you judgment from God in the New Testament in the grace age where God would send his judgment God still gets angry I'm so tired of this gospel message that tries to paint God in some picture as a schizophrenic that in the Old Testament he was some big long bearded guy leaning over the balconies of heaven with a lightning bolt that was mad all the time and wanted to kill everybody and then all of a sudden after Micah 400 years of silence here comes Jesus peace love happiness and hippie Woodstock never gets mad at anybody and everybody's going to heaven and you can live however in the hell you want to live and still have eternal security and people try to say he was this way over here and this way over here but I'm just telling you that's not the truth the truth of the matter is is God has all always been merciful to 
to those that would repent. God has always been long-suffering and kind and patient to the repentant, to those that got a broken heart, would cry out with a contrite spirit. But God has always been angry. God has always been vengeful. God has always been wrathful against those that are stubborn and insolent and proud and prideful and think they can do it in their own way. If you want the mercy of God, then you cry out for repentance from God. If you want the wrath of God, be unrepentant. That's who God is. God was that way in the Old Testament and God's that way in the New Testament. It's the truth. He's not schizophrenic. Let me show it to you. Put my family picture up on the screen. Let me show it to you. See the little girl in the yellow? That's Finley Lark. I told you her name last night, told you what it means, but I also told you, a.k.a. she's got a nickname, and it is Johnette. Let me tell you what Johnette did one day. I came in, and we have never had a house, the house we just sold today with a playroom. And that was my wife's way of having some sort of peace in the middle of the day. Girls, go to the playroom. Now, every toy imaginable is in the playroom, pretty much. I mean, people just give us junk. And we put it in there, and they just can they can do Legos, build a block, build, I mean, everything. And, 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 and I'm going through the house, and I see this blue marker. Y'all know I'm OCD, right? I mean, I can tell if somebody's been in my desk and moved an ink pen. And I look at this blue mark. I said, Finley. Yes, sir, daddy. Finley. There's some crayon on the wall. Did you color with a blue marker? Did you do this on the wall? No, sir, daddy. Fisher did it. I said, Finley. Fisher is in a she crawls. She, Dad, I'm telling you, Fisher did it. I said, Finley, Fisher drools and spits. She can't even set up. Dad, I'm telling you, Fisher did it. I said, Brooke, I've been at work all day up here putting up with God's people. You letting these kids cry. She said, I'm telling you what, you better change your tune right now. I'm going to hit you with that blue crayon when I find it. I said, you letting these kids right on the wall. She said, baby, I don't know. I'm just trying to fold clothes upstairs. I'm like, Finley, did you color? Daddy Fisher did it. Brooke said, Fisher didn't do it. She's in a play fin, for God's sake. She can't even crawl, couldn't hold a crayon. I said, Finley, I'm telling you right now, if you don't tell me who colored on this wall, Fisher did it, Daddy. I said, I'm getting this belt off right now. You better. And when she turned around to walk away, she had a blue crayon behind her back. I said, I am finna whoop your tail right now. Do you want to know why? You want to know why? You want to know why? She was three. Cute little bitty girl. Don't think I will. She got t-shirts that say wooden spoon survivor. I will beat that tail with a wooden spoon. I, got, I couldn't hit her with my hand hard enough no more. She laughed at me. She was three. Do you want to know why? You want to know why? Because she wouldn't tell me the truth. Because she wouldn't repent. Because she lied to me. No mercy. Unrepentant. And when I got around that corner, she <laughs> looked like she was doing a robot. 
I said, Finley, what is wrong? Daddy. Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm the wood. I'm in the wood. I'm the wood. You know why? And she said, Daddy, I'm sorry I wrote on the wall. I'm sorry I lied to you. Fisher didn't do it. Daddy, I'll never do it again. Please, Daddy, don't babe. Daddy, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I grabbed her and I picked her up. And I said, Finley, do not write on that wall. I'm not going to spank you. I love you. But don't you lie to Daddy. Go in there and get some cleaning stuff out from under the sink. Get your mama to help you. And get that blue spot off the wall. Did you raise your kids that way? And if you didn't. And you don't, I just gave you one of the greatest parenting tips that you can ever learn in life for free. Do you want to know why? Now, am I schizophrenic? So, cop, stop saying God's schizophrenic. Stop trying to paint this picture of God as he was one guy over here and one guy over here. No, God has dual natures. There is a mercy side of God and there is a wrath side of God. And how you respond to God draws out one or the other. And if you repent to God and cry out to God, you see the mercy of God. But if you stand stubborn and wag your finger in the face of God and try to play tough ball with him, he will show you who's boss. And it don't matter if it's Old Testament or new. It's the same God. Watch this. So we start slipping. Things start crowding our heart, crowding our lives. And, 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 and all of a sudden things start getting tough. And sometimes it is God's judgment. Sometimes it is. Listen, I, I tell people on our church staff, Matt, he, he, he's in the 90 day, he's in the first 90 days of junior high pastoring. We're, we're, we've told him our expectations. We're coaching him up. I'm having meetings with him. What, 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 do you need anything? Can I help you? Can I give you my wisdom, my insight? I want to set you up for success. You know what I'm expecting. You know, I will help you do any of it. However, Matt, if you don't do what we're asking you to do, if you don't do the way that we're asking you to do it, there's, so, so watch this. Sometimes we do things, don't show up for work, don't, Get the music going in junior high. Don't do school assemblies. Don't plan events on our calendar. And then we walk into a meeting with God. And we want to keep our job. Want to keep our paycheck. And I look at our staff and I say, give me something for God to bless. You you, you can't expect. Watch this. I know I got you confused. You can't bring God living with your boyfriend. And say, God bless this. Because God don't bless that. You say, well, I'm going to lose my disability. Hey, hello. Would you rather live off $400 a month? Or get hooked up with God and make $4,000 a month? The God that created the thousand hills with the thousands of cattle on them that sends you the $400 a month? also is the same God with all the cattle on a thousand hills that will give you $4,000 a month. What you've done is you've made your disability, you've made your social security, you've made your SSI, you've made that your source instead of your supply. God is my source. 
He just feeds me through the supply of first assembly. God is my source. Don't bring God some. Don't roll up in here, man, and not done anything we told you to do and then say, bless this. I ain't going to bless that. Don't you bring promiscuity. Don't you bring drug addiction. Don't you bring a double standard. Don't you bring running and roll up and say, God bless this. God's not going to bless that. You cannot ever expect God to bless unrighteousness. Now watch this. If God won't bless unrighteousness, sometimes we when we commit wickedness and unrighteousness and we play with ourselves, we don't play with God, and we say, God bless this, I want you to be okay with this, all of the sudden, all of a sudden, circumstances start unfolding. They come and they pick up our car because we didn't pay our car note. All of a sudden, we get a knock at the door saying, you've got an eviction notice. All of a sudden, because you've been smoking weed in the bathroom, the boss shows up with a urinalysis test and you lose your job. When you start doing the wrong thing do circumstances come yes rough hard circumstances that are oftentimes the consequences of our own bad choices but on the other time sometimes it is judgment from God so this year your heart's been slipping my heart we get into a place and all of a sudden things get tough I just want you to know that it's both sometimes it is the consequences of your bad choices sometimes it is judgment from God Can I show you a few examples just very quickly? Can I show you a few examples? Adam and Eve. Adam, of the trees of the garden you may eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall eat. For the day you eat, your eyes shall be open. You shall die. Last time we let a woman pick where we ate. All humanity fell. All humanity fell into sin over that argument. Where are we going to eat for lunch? I'm just kidding. Watch this. All of a sudden, our eyes are open. We're naked. We see the human body in a way we've never seen it. We're hooked up. We're, covered, we're separated from God. We've got to be covered in fig leaves. All of the consequences. Can I show you another one? Let me show you another one here. That's just one with Adam and Eve. Let me just remind you of a few right quick. I'm going somewhere. I promise. I promise. We're going to get there. Children of Israel. Go into the land of Cana. Don't marry foreign men. Don't worry, foreign women. Don't worship their gods. Stay true to me. Stay hooked up with me. Children of Israel, 300 years later, 600 years later. Oh, yeah, Solomon comes along. Man, chicken women. I like Egyptian women. I like Assyrian women. I like women. I got 700 wives. I got 1,000 concubines. The kingdom, 12 tribes, were divided, no longer under Solomon. Ten tribes went to Jeroboam, two tribes went to Rehoboam. The lines were split. Ten tribes were eventually lost. That's why you call them the ten lost tribes of Israel. And then the two tribes of Rehoboam, David's Davidic bloodline, eventually went into Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Let me give you one more, all right? Never mind, I'll stop. I got my point across. Can I tell you the three things in common with all three of those? Adam and Eve's heart drifted. The children of Israel's heart drifted. And Solomon's heart drifted. Matter of fact, there in Solomon's account, it says that the women that he married, the foreign women, eventually led his heart astray. Maybe that's why the Bible says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flows everything you do in this life. 
I've gave you three accounts where people made missteps, made wrong choices. Their hearts started drifting. Can I show you Adam and Eve? You didn't see how their heart drifted. The serpent shows up and he says, oh, God knows that in the day that you eat, you'll be just like him. He kept something from you. Can I show you how their heart drifted? When they ate, the Bible says they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the fruit was pleasant and pleasing to the eye. But the Bible also says that every tree in the garden had fruit that was pleasant and pleasing to the eye. Can I tell you what Adam and Eve were after? Self-exaltation to know something that they believed God had hid from them. Their heart drifted. Yours would have done the same. Mine would have done the same. I'm just trying to show you the root of the matter. The best thing that I have to tell us all tonight, and we got to get ready to go. The best thing that I have to tell us all tonight is this. Jeremiah 3.14. Return to me, O backslidden children, says the Lord. For I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family. And I will bring you to my holy dwelling, my holy habitation, the city of Zion. Tonight, I read a simple scripture to you, and I'm going to work through these points very quickly because, as I've said, we've got to go. This is just an old-fashioned family talk. Point number one, put this on the screen. Here's what I want you to see about the scripture out of Joel that I read to you tonight. I want you to notice the conditions of your return, the conditions of your return. Now, you know me well enough to know that I want to show it to you in the Bible, and then I want to ask you to look at your own life. Does anyone know what starts happening in Joel chapter 1? Anybody ever read the book of Joel? Joel chapter 1 begins to tell a story where locusts were coming into the nation of Israel in a plague. Do you know why the locusts were coming into the nation of Israel? Because the ten tribes of Israel that defrocked under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, defrocked to Jagorboom, eventually set up their own altar. They set up their own priesthood, men from the, every class and race of men to become their priests. They set it up, a sacred place, two golden calves, one in the north, one in the south, one in the mountains of Ephraim, and one in the city of Dan. And they led the ten tribes away from the true God. Eventually, they were lost to Assyria. Ten lost tribes of Israel, still lost to this day. And because they had been backslidden, all of these prophets were coming and prophesying and the nation of Israel would never return. And then finally you get to Joel, better yet known as Joel, if you go to Israel. And Joel starts telling a story of cutting locusts. And swarming locusts and hopping locusts and destroying locusts. And Joel tells a story in chapter 1 where these locusts were coming in and they were judgment. They were divine retribution from God. They were punishment from God on a nation that had been backslidden. That had been so far gone from God for so long that they were unrepentant. They would not hear the voice of God. God was at the door knocking and all of a sudden the locusts start coming. And here's what I also want you to notice in Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1. Go back and read it later it starts mentioning that these locusts were eating everything they were destroying every facet of life they were destroying everything from the agriculture they were destroying everything into the city they were destroying they were changing it would be like wall street falling in america it would be like the crops growing out here in the field being so that it changed the economy it changed our money it changed our it changed the whole nation is being turned upside down by this plague of locusts, this divine retribution from God. Number one, the conditions of our return. 
Put Joel chapter 2, verse 12 on the screen. I want you to see this. What's the first three letters say? The first three words say? I'm not making any of this up. So God is letting the consequences of their own bad choices, divine retribution, judgment from God is coming. The locusts are coming and turning their country, their economy, everything. If the crops are affected, the house of God is affected. Everything, it's an agriculture society. And here's what you see God saying. Yet, even now. You know what God was saying? God was saying, look around in your life tonight. God was saying, look around in your heart. And can I tell you what God had to say to you? Yet, even now. If your lips are burnt from a crack pipe. Yet, even now. If you've got track marks on your veins, yet even now. If the last phone call in your cell phone was from your girlfriend and your wife sat next to you in church, yet even now. If you cheated at work today, yet even now. What you've got to do is you've got to notice the conditions of your return and what God says to the nation is I'm letting it turn your life upside down but yet even now yet even now number two put this point on the screen I want to show you this very quickly what God said is yet even now declares the Lord return to me with all of your heart yet even now doesn't matter yet even now But watch this. Here's what I love about the continuation of the verse. God sets the parameters for the return. God says, I don't want you to return to me with your tithe. God says, I don't want you to return to return to me with your church attendance. I don't want you to return to me with your witnessing. I don't want you to return to me with your mind. I want you to return to me with your heart. And you say, but God, my heart is so cluttered. My heart is so confused. I don't know, God, how to get my heart back to you. I've got so many images of pornography in my mind. I've got so many racial slurs. I've got such a, 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 a impression in my heart and in my life from the world and what the world is. God, I'm so confused. I'm lost. You know, Jeremiah even said... The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. God, I'm so confused. How do I get my heart back? But watch this. God says, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, God will never ask you to do something that he also does not empower you to do. God says, I want your heart to come back. And you say, God, how do I get my heart back? And God says, abase yourself. Afflict yourself. Cut off the Twitter. Cut off the Playboy. Cut off the relationship. Fast it. Give it up. Start mourning. Get in those ashes. Get in those sackcloths. Get in a season of prayer. Get up early in the morning. I know you got to be at work at 8, but set that alarm for 5.30. Get up. Get you a John Maxwell leadership devotional. Get you a 365-day-a-year reading plan. Get you a Beth Moore Bible study. Get in a women's growth group. After your kids get in bed and the house is all clean and the supper and the dishes is all put up, find you 15 minutes over in the corner of your basement and get down there on your knees and cry out to me me start weeping to me I said yet even now I don't care how grim it is I don't care how bleak it looks I don't care how dark and twisted the circumstances yet even now but you've got to bring your heart back to me yet even now I demand a heart return a heart return but watch this number three next thing he said next thing he said is 
Don't bring me a superficial return. Don't bring me a superficial return. Anybody know what superficiality is? Anybody know what being superficial is? External. Outward. Let me, let me show it to you. Watch here. Verse number 13. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He even relents of the disaster that's coming over your life. Here's what He says. Rend your heart, not your garment. Look at this. Rend your heart, not your garment. I don't know if you know this, but God is warning the Israelites not to have a superficial return. God warns them and says, I don't want you to tear your clothes. I don't want you to rend your garments. I want you to rend your hearts. You may not remember this, but in the Old Testament, when someone was overcome with mourning, someone was overcome with grief, pastor, what would they do? They would run out before the people and they would burn ashes and they would throw ashes on themselves and they would put on sackcloth and they would rip off their clothes. And what God says is, no, 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 no. The children of Israel have had a superficial return to me. They have put on the song and dance. Oh, it's about to come home to you right now. Yes, they've got up and they ran to the altar every night at the altar. Call it the overflow conference. They got up there and they jumped the highest. They spoke in tongues the loudest. They asked me to anoint them with oil and to pray over their lives. But the truth of the matter was, it was nothing more than a superficial return. It was nothing more than a show of man. It was nothing more than to please people around them and to try to be something externally that they weren't internally and what God says is don't run out here ripping your clothes ripping your garments trying to show other people that you're abased and you're in mourning and you're sickening God said don't rip your clothes rip your heart I want what you're trying to show people outwardly to be done in you tonight you've got to rip up what's got you torn up you've got to rip up what's got you held down you've got to rip up what's holding you back you've got to rip up that heart of corruption that heart of greed that heart of discontent you've got to rip that heart don't bring me a superficial return watch this number four number four let me show you the hope of your return tonight the hope of your return is this put the verse up there on the screen please I believe it's also verse 13 the hope of your return can I show you if you'll rend your heart And not your garment. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious. And he is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over the disaster. The hope of your return. Is that if you like Finley. (laughs) Say daddy. I am ashamed. I am broken. I I do hate this. I'm tired of being separated from you. I've I've tried the sports. I've tried the fishing. I've tried the hunting. I've tried the boyfriend. I've tried the girlfriend. I tried bingo. I tried video poker. I tried the riverboats. I tried the needle. I tried it. And you know what, God? I'm still hollow. I'm still empty. God, tonight I'm coming back to you. And I'm not coming back to you with superficiality. I'm coming back to you even with a broken heart, with a contrite spirit, even though I can't pay my rent, even though I can't pay my mortgage, even though I 
I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Yet even now, Daddy, I'm bringing you my heart back. And I'm not trying to put on a show for anybody else. This isn't about anybody else right now. This is about me and you, God. I'm coming back. I'm ripping up my heart. Here's what the hope of your return is. That He is gracious. That He's merciful. That He's abounding in steadfast love. I believe the psalmist said it like this. The psalmist said, That these, O God, you will not despise a broken heart and a contrite spirit. People ask me all the time, what do I have to do? To get right with God. What are the steps to, to getting free, to, to getting out of addiction, to getting out of this season of hopelessness? And I tell everybody all the time, I can take you to Psalms 51, where David said, here's what God will never cast out. God will never cast out a broken heart. God will never cast out a contrite spirit. When you really get to the end of yourself, when you really say, I'm broken over this, God, and I'm bringing you the broken pieces of my heart to you, God will never cast it out, no matter how. You can be Charles Manson. You can be the Columbine shooter. And God will never reject you when you come back. Because the hope of our return is God is gracious. The hope of our return is yet even now I love you. I'm married to you, backslider. I want you. I want all of you. I don't want some of you. I don't want part of you. I will not share you. I want all of you. Last point, and I'm really done tonight. I'm really done tonight as we get ready to wrap up our Come to Jesus meeting. I want you to see number five. The confidence of our return. The confidence of our return. I want to take you back. And I want you to remember that God told the children of Israel in verse 13. He said, do not rend your garments. He said, rend your hearts. And I've made it abundantly clear that God was wanting a heart return, not a superficial return. But I want to show you some other aspects of that statement that God wouldn't allow me to leave here tonight without showing you. If you go back to Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2, here's what you'll notice. That God mentions the priest by name in chapter 1, verse 9 and verse 13. And then in chapter 2, he mentions the priest by name again in verse number 17. What are you saying, young preacher, tonight? I'm telling you that God had the priesthood on his mind when he started saying to the prophet Joel, tell them to rend their hearts, not their garments. I've also told you that in biblical days and in Mideastern times and in in the Mideastern customs and manners during biblical times that that people who were often grieving and mourning, they would they would tear their garments as a way of showing mourning, showing deep distress. It was a way of showing that they had been overcome with grief in life. However, there's this one obscure passage. In Leviticus 21 and 10. I I don't know if they have Leviticus 21 and 10 tonight. But look at this. It's this crazy passage in the book of Leviticus. That you've skipped over a million times. And never paid attention to. It says the high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. And the anointing oil has been poured on his head. And he has been ordained to wear the priestly garment. And he must never leave his hair uncombed. He must never be disheveled. And he must never tear his clothing. I want to ask, would they turn the lights down tonight just a little bit and and maybe just start the track for the last song that we sang earlier? Would that be okay? I'll give you a chance to come in 
at some point. I will probably need you to. But as they get ready to turn the lights down and just get a little bit of music playing. I want to show you the confidence of your return tonight. See, I'm not here to get you to a place where you come back to God with all of your heart. And then we leave you there at a place of brokenness and repentance. I want to show you the goodness of God tonight. The hope of your return. That if you'll come back to God. If you'll really bring Him your heart. Your broken heart. If you'll bring it back to Him tonight. Watch this. When you get up from the altar. After you've given God all of your heart. You can get up confident. You can get up empowered. You can get up and live in victory. Watch this. Let me show you something. The priest had a special garment. Do you see that in Leviticus 21? Somebody give me some anointing oil. Thank you so much, sir. So in Israel, when the high priest... was chosen and another high priest was anointed because one had died they would take the old garment off of the high priest they would bring in the new candidate for the high priesthood and on a certain day they would begin to pour the anointing oil on that new high priest head you remember Psalms 133 how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil of the anointing that was poured down Aaron's head and it began to run through his beard and through the collar all the way down to the hem of his garment. Do you remember that? There God commands a blessing. Do you remember that? Do you know what that psalm is a psalm of? It's a song about the anointing of the high priest on the day that they were anointed. Watch this. And Here's what I want you to see. Every time that high priest was chosen, they were re-anointed re-anointed there was a compounding of the anointing because they all wore the same priestly garment God forbid the priest to ever tear his garment do you want to know why to tear the garment of the anointing is spitting in the face of God spitting in the face of God saying my circumstances are tougher than your power to deliver. For the high priest to say, the nation is in such disheaval. The nation is in such disarray. I'm not combing my hair and I'm ripping my garment was to spit in the face of God and to say, we allow our circumstances to dictate to us our destiny, not your word, not your promises and not your anointing. And they would rip the garment and spit in the face of God. And God said, nothing should ever come upon your life that would make you dishonor me and spit in my face. Because here's what I want you to know. When you come back to me and you bring me all of your heart, you never have to get to a place again where life makes you rend your garments. Oh, you think I'm making this up. You think I'm trying to give you some fancy preaching. Watch this. You'll remember this scripture. Luke 24 and 49 says in red from the words of Jesus, Behold, 
I send you the promise of my father. But go tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. Anybody remember that? Endowed with power from on high. Endued with power from on high. I dare you to pull out a Bible right now. I dare you to pull out a Bible right now and look this word up in Greek. You know what endued means? Endued means clothed. Jesus said, Behold, I send you the promise of my Father, but go wait in the city of Jerusalem because in a few days you're going to be clothed with a new power. Maybe you remember in Revelation 5 and Revelation 10 where he said he's made you a kingdom of priests unto his God. See, Jesus was the high priest of heaven, but now you are a kingdom of priests and you have on a garment of the compounded anointing of God. And if you will bring your heart back to God, not a superficial return, yet even now in the midst of your work circumstances, if you will bring your heart back to God, return to God with all of your heart around this altar tonight, not for a show, not to please man, but if you come back, here's what I can promise you. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is steadfast. God is abounding in love. He's relenting of the disaster that He's causing in and over your life. God wants to turn all that around and you can get to a place in Him where there's such a strength from His power there's such an anointing from his power that the same things that are buckling you right now and breaking you down and defeating you right now they're making you tear your garments you'll never have to tear that garment again you'll be able to stand sure-footed flat-footed shoulders back look right in the eyes of hatred look right in the eyes of disease look right in the eyes of diabetes look right in the eyes of addiction look right in the eyes of brokenness and hopelessness you can look right in the eyes of everything that's trying to destroy you and teal from you and kill you you can look it right in the eyes and say no 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 not this day not this year I've got an anointing from God I've got a compounded anointing I'm not afraid of you I've got confidence in when I return to God that his anointing has come upon my life now let me tell you something you can go ahead start the music again start the music again just keep it on loop keep it on repeat Back to the conversation with the young lady last night. I said, sweetie, you're doing very good where you're at right now. Minus your relationship with the Lord. You're doing very good where you're at right now because you have somebody to hold your hand every minute of every day. You you have accountability. I said, but listen to me. There's a day coming when you're going to have to be able to stand on your own two feet can I just be honest with you I don't remember um, I would say three or four years ago three or four years ago I was preaching up in Old City Louisiana and after I'd preached at a great church up there fresh old worship center the pastor wanted to take me to Ralph and Kaku's but he had his whole family and they filled up a car I had my pickup truck I was driving a white Ford F-150 King Ranch at the time. A two-tone brown was very nice. Had it all decked out with black accessories. I was very proud of my truck. Loved my truck. And um, I was married probably five or six years at the time. My ministry was growing. I don't know. I'm just being honest. I, I probably had ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 in the bank. Sober, five or six years married. Doing well. Preaching the gospel. Living the, living the life that I prayed for. God didn't give it to me. 
when I wasn't ready for it. God didn't give it to me when I was out there on dope. God didn't give it to me when I was out there on robbing people. God waited till I got in jail and got in that birthing position and started crying out for the destiny that he had for my life. And then God started letting it come to pass because I got in position. So here I am. We go to Ralph and Kaku's. We eat. And boy, I was full. Get in the truck. And he said, Pastor, I've got some errands to run. I've got to do this. Got to do that. Got to do this. Church is at 6 tonight on Sunday night. There's a parsonage. The key is in such and such place. You can go back there, take a shower, rest, read. We put you some hunting magazines in there. Whatever you want to do, but we've got to go. Okay, Pastor, no problem. He left, and I walked over, and I got in my truck. Did anybody hear me say on Sunday night, I've never been high again in my life. Never been high again in my life. Never taken another drug in my life. And honestly, truth be told, I have really never struggled. But that day, he was gone. He left. I was in Shreveport at Ralph and Kaku's, my stomping ground where I grew up. Under the bridge on I-20 where I had my high-speed police chase. And I walked back to my truck. And I opened my truck and I got in my truck and I was sitting there under that bridge. And a spirit came and said, you can go get high. You know how many people would love to see you? You know, you could roll up in your new truck. You got plenty of money. Nobody would ever know. And I told that little girl last night, there's a day coming where you're going to have to have a spiritual backbone. And you're going to have to be able to stand on your own two feet. There's going to come a day when your mama can't hold your hand. There's going to come a day when your daddy can't hold your hand. There's going to come a day where you're going to have to not say yes to the guy that keeps getting you to say yes. There's going to come a day that you're going to have to say no to the girl that keeps getting you to say yes. There's going to come a day that you're going to have to say no to the drug that keeps getting There's going to come a day where you're going to have to have. And tonight, I'm trying to tell you that if you will bring your heart back to God. Oh, let me finish the story. No, I didn't go get high that day. I ain't never been high again in my life. Let me tell you what I did. I got in that truck. I cranked that truck. And I sat there for a few minutes. And I got on the phone with my wife. I said, you ain't never going to believe what happened. The enemy just tried to come right now and get me to throw my life, my ministry everything away she said what are you doing I said I'm over here at Vantro Toyota out here on 220 looking at a new truck because when God blesses me and I get to the next season of my life I'm going to have one of these big nice trucks like this I ain't going over to Cedar Grove and Holly Ridge and throwing my life away throwing my money away getting high on life she said you sure you good I said yeah I'm absolutely good because I've got a compounded anointing of the Holy Ghost there's power in that promise from Jesus that he would send the Holy Spirit to clothe you with power that he would send a power to come on your life that is the confidence of your return tonight here's all I'm asking you sir I don't know what you came in here with but in the book of Ezekiel the prophet said that the children of Israel should never go to the city of David they should never go to Zion's hill they should never go to the house of worship and enter by the same gate that they would leave by the same gate Ezekiel said that when the people of God come into the presence of God, they should come in one way and leave out another. Do you know why? Because you should never come in and leave the presence of God the same. And tonight, when you come into this place, whatever you came in here toting, whatever you came in here carrying, God sent this young preacher tonight to tell you He wants you back. Yet even now, bring me your heart tonight. Don't bring me a superficial return. Don't bring me a show for Pastor Tony, a show for me. You don't have to jump. You don't have to spit. You don't have to flip. You don't have to fight. Even though we like all that, we believe in all that. 
But tonight, God says, even now, bring me your heart. And if you'll bring your heart back to me tonight, I'll be gracious to you. I'll be merciful to you. And I will send an anointing on your life that will be the power you need to live above reproach. The very things that are buckling you now, you'll be able to stand sure-footed and flat-footed and walk over in victory tomorrow. If anybody in this place tonight says, I want to bring my heart back to God, I want you to get up on your feet right now and we're just going to let this worship track play through here. Just go ahead and turn that music up right now. What we ought to have tonight is everybody unanimous. Every Christian in this place, even if you're doing good, you ought to be able to do better. Come on. You ought to be able to get up here right now. Just find you a place around this altar. Everybody in this place, just say, Daddy, I'm bringing you my heart back tonight. Come on, I'm bringing you more of me tonight. I've been slipping some. I've been giving in some. This is revival, God. This is overflow. This is me getting it back right with you. Me getting back into the birthing position for you. Oh, you thought I forgot about Michael's statement. What if tonight was the night that you got in birthing position? What if tonight is the night that your heart changed? That you became shaped and fashioned into what God was waiting for you to become and be so he could start pouring out his provision. So he could start answering the prayers. So that he could start releasing the miracles. So that he could start transforming your life and your future. Come on, turn that worship music up now. Come on, just turn it up now. I don't want anybody timid. I don't want anybody ashamed or afraid. Come on, right now, tonight, let's just cry out on a Monday night. Let's just bring God our hearts back, all of our hearts. Let's give God a heart return. Come on, right now, I'll lead the way. Daddy God, tonight, I know that you bless my life, and it's a good life. It's a rich life. It's an abundant life. But God, can't nobody do me like you. Ain't nobody as good to me as you. Ain't nobody ever saved me like you. Heal me like you. Deliver me like you. God, tonight I repent of anything that's cluttered my heart. Anything that's gotten in my way. Anything that's drowned out your voice. Daddy, all I want is you. I want more of you. I want a greater anointing from you. I want a greater fire from you. I want a greater authority from you. I want to be close to you. I, God, want to hear you speak to me early in the mornings and late at night. God, whatever you have for my life, forgive me for getting in the way. Forgive me for having my own agenda. God, I want what you want. Speak to me, God. Lead me, God, tonight. God, I repent of everything that I've made it, everything that I've brought that's confused you, confused your voice in my life. Help me to hear you. Help me to sense you. Help me, God, tonight. Know your will and your way. that heart back to God tonight. Bring that heart back. Come on, right now, declutter your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Come on, get everything else out. Get everything else out that's been a distraction. Everything that's been in the way. Come on, get it out right now. Get it out right now. Call him by name. Call her by name. Call it by name. Come on, just put it out of the way tonight. Bring God all your heart. Pledge your allegiance to him. Pledge and vow yourself to him. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Ask his amazing and mighty power to come into your life again. Ask him to open his word to you.
I'm going to ask you to bring that, bring that track down. Bring that track down tonight. Come on, everybody that's, that's down here at the altar. 